friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love doesn't know God because God is love. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, as we consider your word this morning, we pray for insight and understanding into who you are and into who we are and into the relationship you're calling us into with you, with each other, and with ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you uh, have been with us for the last few weeks, I actually have not been here myself for the last month, so it's great to be back uh, with you in person, although, again, I'm thankful for Zoom that we can uh, be together even when we are apart. But if you have been either on Zoom or in person with us, you know we are in the midst of our summer sermon series that Nick got us started off with last week on the fruit of the Spirit, where we looked at Galatians chapter 5. And so what we're going to do over the next few months is we're going to look over those nine attributes that are identified as fruit of the Spirit in the weeks to come. And so today we're looking at a very familiar topic, the topic of love. In fact, it's so familiar that I've uh, heard religious people say it's too religious, it's too familiar to talk about, so it should be uh, relegated to the realm of topics that we just don't spend that much time on. But love, while being an idea that is well accepted, uh, is difficult to practice. And so we want to talk about the concept of love and how we can practice it today. I mean, if love, although most agree that it's a positive thing, if love was really uh, implemented at the way it should be, we wouldn't have the war and the murder and the violence and the hatred and the racism and the sexism that we are seeing increasingly uh, frequent all around us. And so the idea of love is well embraced but difficult to put into practice. By the way, there's even a... uh, prophetic passage about love that you may be familiar with, Jesus in his sermon about the last days. He says this, because of an increase of wickedness in the last days, the love of most will grow cold. And so Jesus is seemingly indicating that love is so important that we've got to discuss it, we've got to talk about it, we've got to learn to live as people of love Uh, Because it's going to be an issue in the last days. The love of most will grow cold. So may that not happen to us. And so this leads us back to our text of emphasis today, which is found in a letter that one of Jesus' core team members, you know, he had the 12 disciples and then he had the three, the core team members. John was one of those members and he wrote a letter, wrote actually three letters, and we're looking at his first letter to the newborn church in uh, the first century. And so John chapter, uh, one, John chapter, first John chapter one, first uh, John chapter four, <laughs> verses seven and eight. I got it now. That's our text of emphasis today. Yes, thank you. And uh, so we wrestle with this topic of love or agape. This is the Greek word that is used here in first John four to talk about love. And so the call is pretty clear. Followers are, of Jesus are to love each other. Now, this is actually a pretty important note because religious people, for as long as religion has been around, have promoted the idea that humans are supposed to love God. 
right? If so, God, whoever your God might be, the idea that we as, as, as subservient uh, creations of God or the gods that one of our roles is to love God. But uh, John is indicating something different here. He's saying loving God is actually not enough. We are called as, as believers, as people of faith, to love each other, okay? So loving God is one thing. I know a lot of people who have put a lot of time into uh, trying to love God, you know, doing, going to religious services and reading holy scriptures and so on and really invested in the idea of loving God but are terrible at loving other people. According to John in 1 John, that just doesn't work. You can't love God and, and not love other people. Those go hand in hand. In fact, if you keep reading in 1 John chapter 4 over to verse 20, uh, John says this, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they've seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. That's a pretty bold statement, right? So if you invest all your time in loving and obeying God and doing what he says to do, but can't love your brother and sister who you can see, you're not really loving God. Those two go hand in hand. They're intrinsically linked. Our relationship with God and our relationship with our brother and sister are tied together. So we're called to love each other. But secondly, we read out of the text that God himself is love. God is love. What God does is evidence of his love. All the attributes of God are related to love. So when, uh, when God uh, protects his kids, as we see often happening in the Bible, that's a display of God is love. When God disciplines, that's love. When God gets angry, which happens in the Bible, God is love. All of these are attributes of God's love for us. So because God is love. God has always existed in love. God, Father, Son, and Spirit presents himself to us as humans, as a family, going back before we were even created. The Trinity has existed. God is love. God has always existed in love. And so we're supposed to love, and God is love. These are the great insights we get out of 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. And then the clear mandate that we're given, we are called to love. Because God is love and we come from God, we are supposed to love too. Brian, you're good. You're here. Second time you've got, you heard this today. So wow, but good to see you here. Replay. Okay. You let me know if I miss anything. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> we are called, we are instructed. In fact, we were given a mandate that as, 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 as people of faith, we are called to love. Now, of course, the problem is doing this is actually rather uh, difficult, as we have seen. You look around. Again, the world is a broken place. Most people would acknowledge the fact that love is important, and yet we are in a broken world that doesn't seem to have much love. And so the mandate is clear. We're called to love each other, but actually putting it into practice is incredibly, incredibly difficult. So some religious people, some Christian people even have said, you know what, Jesus or, or, and John are, are not just talking about anybody. When they say to love each other, they're talking about to love your fellow uh, believers, right? So as brothers and sisters, we love each other. I mean, you can't love everybody, can you? So just, just love, focus on loving each other. But of course, this goes against Jesus' very own command, 
If you remember his most famous sermon found in Matthew chapter 5 all the way to Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says this, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He's addressing this, this misconception. You've heard, all you have to do is love your neighbor, but you can hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? He's picking on a group of people who uh, he imagined as being, you know, maybe less than intentional about their righteousness. Even the tax collectors love those who they love. And if you greet only, the, only your own people, what are you doing more than other, others? Don't even the pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, even as your heavenly Father is perfect. So Jesus is clear. Love transcends those easy relationships <laughs> that we may have. It's not just about the people that we're comfortable with. It's not just our own community, not just our own faith community, not just our own ethnic community, not just our own family community. Even our enemies are included in this command to love. I mean, it's something to have love for those who are comfortable. Jesus is calling us into a love for, for everyone, even those who are our enemies, even those who are uh, difficult. And then the relationship between love and being perfect is incredibly important here and, and interesting. Love, be perfect is the call. Love, love your enemies, be perfect just as your heavenly Father is perfect. You know, we hear the word perfect and we have all kinds of ideas that come to mind for religious people being perfect means may, may mean you know doing religious rituals in a certain particular way and dressing in a and eating and doing all kinds of things. Uh, Jesus is very clear: perfection is related to love. How we treat each other, do we love and have compassion for each other? This is what it means to be perfect. Love your enemies, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Perfection isn't just, just about doing the, the right thing when it comes to ritual. It's how we treat each other. Love and perfection go hand in hand. Think about the, the story, the famous story of the Good Samaritan. Many insights that we can get out of this story. Uh, but let me just do a refresher if you aren't familiar. It's found in Luke chapter 10. And starts in verse 30, and it says this. This is Jesus uh, teaching uh, his disciples and others who were following him. He said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of all of his clothes. They beat him and went away and left him half dead. A priest, so this is a religious person, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, so Jesus is picking on two religious uh, leaders who believed that being perfect meant something, right? And that they could not uh, sully themselves in their perfection by helping this man. Uh, so too a Levite, when he came to the place, he also passed by the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine on to, for him. And then he put the man in, on his own donkey and brought him into the inn, into an inn to take care of him. Uh, perfection. 
portrait. Jesus is giving us an image of perfection, and it's how we treat each other. Perfection is related to how we love each other, not how uh, pure we are in our ritualistic uh, practice of religion. The two religious leaders, the imagery we get is that they don't want to get themselves unperfect by touching someone who's going to get blood on their clothes and, 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 and is going to take up their money that they are going to give to spiritual things. Be perfect. Perfection is related to the idea of love. And so we should love each other, even those that we perceive to be our enemies. This is perfection. God calling us into relationship, uh, relationships with each other, with other humans that is rooted in the way he looks at us. Now, even this idea of loving our enemies is actually not just uh, a Christian idea. There are others. I got a passage from Marcus Aurelius. I love this. All right, so I think Levi's got it on the screen here for us. This is Marcus Aurelius talking about this issue of loving your enemies, just to show you that not, you, even those beyond Christianity you come to this idea that loving even the enemies is important. Say to yourself, this is Aurelius talking to us, say to yourself, first thing in the morning, today I shall meet people who are meddling, ungrateful, aggressive, treacherous, malicious, unsocial. All this has afflicted them through their ignorance of true, of true good and evil. But I have seen that the nature of good is what is right, and the nature of evil is what is wrong, and I have reflected that the nature of the offender himself is akin to my own, not a kinship of blood or seed, but a sharing in the same mind, the same fragment of divinity. Therefore, I cannot be harmed by any of them, as none will infect me with their wrong, nor can I be angry with my kinsmen or hate them. We were born for cooperation like feet, like hands, like eyelids, like the rows of upper and lower teeth. So to work in opposition to one another is against nature, and anger or rejection is opposition. This idea of having love for each other, even for our enemies, is an idea that is not just uh, isolated in Christianity. It's, a, it's almost a universal idea that we should love each other, even the difficult people, even the meddling uh, people. It's a great idea love each other. What, what a better place the world would be if we all just had more love for each other. Amen. We could wrap up here. Maybe we should wrap up here, right? <laughs> Go and love better. Be, be better lovers even of those who are your enemies. Great place to stop. Let's wrap it up. But the problem is, if we wrap up now, you're going to be Maybe excited to go out and be better at loving people right now, but you're going to be discouraged and depressed because you're going to find out pretty quickly it's difficult to actually implement this practice of loving more liberally. And so that leads us to our question today. Why? Why is loving those beyond our immediate circle of friends and family, and sometimes even for those people, why is it so difficult to have the kind of love that would really change the world? love for, even for our enemies? Well, there are a bunch of responses to that uh, question. You know I like to have, you've been around here, you know I like to have three. So I've got three responses to this question. Why is it so difficult to love people, people beyond our immediate circle, people beyond those who are comfortable? Why is having love uh, so challenging? First of all, I would assert to you that we are all full of fear. We're all afraid. Many of us 
We actually don't love ourselves very much. So when someone else acts against the someone we might perceive as an enemy, it seemingly confirms our own inadequacies about ourselves and we get uncomfortable and we get hurt and we're afraid and rather than love, we wanna strike out and we wanna strike back because we have fear about our own ourselves and our own inadequacies. And so again, we go back to 1 John. 1 John speaks to this. There is no fear in love. Fear and love, they don't work together. Perfect love, though, drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And yet most of us are, are driven by fear and we feel inadequate. And this affects our ability to love others, especially those that we perceive to be our enemies. We have a hard time <laughs> recognizing where they're coming from. Secondly, we struggle with this issue of love, even though it's well-received, because we live in filter bubbles. You're familiar with the idea of a filter bubble? Filter bubble was a, a term con, uh, that it was coined by an internet activist. Being in a filter bubble means that you're only seeing what an algorithm presents to you, right? And you get your algorithms by searching for things or making your own comments on social media or online. And uh, the algorithm says, oh, you know, Brian likes these particular things. You know, you know the idea of the algorithms. We're all familiar if you've ever been any shopping online and you put into the search thing that you are interested in, I don't know whatever you're interested in, you suddenly get a flood of advertisements that are weirdly related to what you searched for, right? All right, so that's the algorithm. But the problem is that, that you, you're familiar with this. The algorithm has an impact on everything you hear, and so you start receiving only news that affirms the beliefs that you already have. And so we live in these bubbles, these filter bubbles. Of course, uh, filter bubbles are not something new. They're not something just related to uh, the internet. If you live in a community without any ethnic or racial diversity, you're in a filter bubble. If everyone you know is of one particular political persuasion, you're in, a, or religious persuasion, you're in a filter bubble. If all of your friends look exactly the same as you, you're in a filter bubble. So this idea of filter bubbles is not just related to the internet. It goes back for generations and centuries. People only are familiar with their own little cultural context. It's very difficult to have love and compassion for the other. And so the filter bubble affects our ability to have love. And then beyond that, our emotional lives are so full of so many other things, it's hard to take the time to, to break out and listen to other ideas and get outside of our bubble. And then finally, we struggle with this issue of really having the kind of love that Jesus is talking about, that John is talking about, because we haven't fully developed empathy and understanding of others. There's good news related to this, by the way, we're told by those who do this kind of research that 98% of us have the capacity for empathy. That's great news. Psychopaths, sociopaths, and narcissists, they struggle with empathy. For the rest of the 98% of the rest of us, we have the capacity for empathy. In fact, researchers have found that as early as six months old, children 
can, can discern and be able to, to acknowledge the needs and concerns of others. They have empathy. So, so we are almost in, inherently designed with the ability to have empathy for others, even as little children. And yet, for many of us, we don't develop that empathy. So we're given the capacity for empathy, but we don't develop it. By the way, I thought this was interesting in the, in the research. What's, what's a great way to develop empathy? Are you ready for this? Read fiction. This is a proven fact. When you read fictional stories and you become part of the story by relating to the main character, this helps you to have empathy for others. And so top of the list strategy, if you want to develop em empathy, should be reading more fiction. Uh, George R.R. R. Martin. For those Game of Thrones fans, you're familiar with that, that name, all right. He, he wrote this, a reader lives a thousand lives before he dies, but the man who never reads lives only one. He's getting at this issue of empathy. If you want to build your empathy, do more reading, specifically fictional reading where you become part of uh, the story. And yet for many of us, developing and pushing ourselves to to increase our amount of empathy takes energy we just do not have. And so we're limited in our empathy, and that means we're limited in our capacity to fulfill Jesus' command, to fulfill John's instruction that we should love each other. So what's the solution? How do we overcome these challenges? and expand our capacity to have love in a world that is dying for people <laughs> to have a love for others, especially those who we perceive as our enemies. How do we overcome these challenges? Well, there are some great strategies. First of all, <laughs> according to the research, read more fiction. <laughs> expand, read more. Gain empathy. Go to therapy. Work on your, your fears that are holding you back. Break out of your filter bubbles. Stop just listening to the same thing over and over again. Start hearing what other people have to say. These are all important strategies to develop the capacity for more love in this world that is dying for people to have radical love for others. And so, again, I can tell you, you go. There's some strategies. Go and read more fiction. Get out of your filter bubble. Listen to others. Develop your uh, empathy go to therapy, please do all of those things. But the truth is, even those are gonna be insufficient to getting down to the brokenness that we all experience. There's something beyond our capacity to fix this love problem that we have. That going to therapy alone isn't going to, to fix. That reading more fiction alone isn't going to fix. That listening to the stories of others isn't going to fix. Those are important strategies. Please put them into practice. But we're broken beyond anything that we're going to be able to do on our own. And so we're still left with the question, what next? Where do we go from here? How do we overcome this brokenness and be filled with love? love even for our enemies. And this is where we go back to our text of emphasis uh, again. First John chapter 4, if you keep reading verses 9 and 10, we read this. This is how God showed his love among us. 
He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Where we falter, Jesus has excelled. Jesus didn't let fear dictate his attitude toward other people. We read in Mark chapter 15 that he was before Pilate, and Pilate asked him, aren't you going to answer? Because the, the, the religious leaders were accusing Jesus of, others, of, of many things. And he said, see how many of these things they're accusing you of? But Jesus, we're told, made no reply, and Pilate was amazed. Pilate was amazed at Jesus' capacity to not strike out, tonight strike back. Jesus was silent when accusations were made because he wasn't afraid. Jesus didn't restrict himself to a filter bubble. In Philippians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul writes this, Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something he had to hold on to but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made found in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient, even obedient to death on a cross. Jesus didn't restrict himself to his heavenly filter bubble. He interjected himself into the human story and became one with us, a part of our narrative, hearing our stories and being a part of our story not limited to his own bubble. And fi finally, Jesus developed empathy beyond anything the world has ever seen. Luke chapter 23, we're told that Jesus is on the cross between the two other criminals, him not being a criminal. And Jesus said to those who were crucifying, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. That is empathy at the highest level. Being able to put himself, he is suffering. He is dying and he's able to put himself in the shoes of those who are killing him. That is empathy beyond anything that you and I are going to experience. Jesus has done for us what is impossible for us to do on our own. There's no reading. There's no therapy. There's, there, there, there's no getting outside of our bubble that we will ever do to be able to have this kind of compassion and love for others, so we should do those things, but recognize the limitation that we need something more than anything we're gonna do on our own. And so the good news for us today is not that Jesus is a great example for us. That's insignificant, well, wow, Jesus is a great example. He had incredible empathy, so I'm gonna go and, and have incredible empathy too. That is the, that is the, 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 the tendency we look at Jesus and say, I should do that. But you know what? That's death to us. That's death, because right now it feels like, okay, okay, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna have the empathy of Jesus. I'm gonna break out of my bubble. Again, we wanna do it on our own, and so we go out and we feel really excited about that for about 20 minutes, and then someone irritating comes along in front of us, and suddenly all of that love that we have tried to raise up in ourselves, <laughs> it's right back, it's gone. And we're back to our old selves. And it's depressing and it's death because you are never going to be Jesus on your own. You're never going to be Jesus on your own. You're never going to have his kind of love and compassion for humanity. The good news of the gospel is 
that's not what God is asking of us. God is not asking us to follow Jesus' example. We are desperately in trouble if that's the issue of the Bible. If God is saying, here is Jesus, he's a great example, go and do likewise, that is depressing and it's death for us because we'll never do it. The gospel is that because Jesus did it, he can work in us to transform and change us in ways that we cannot do it ourselves. That's, by the way, why when Nick gave us from Galatians chapter 5, the description of the fruit of the Spirit. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of Brian or Todd or Nye or any of you here. It's the fruit of the Spirit. This is something that comes from God. We're not on our own. Jesus is not an example for us alone. Jesus' action means something. Because he did what he has done, we can do what we can never do on our own through him. Jesus working in us through his spirit to give us love that we don't have the capacity for all by ourselves. God's fruit, not ours. John continues in verse 16 and 17, and so we know and rely on the love of God that works within us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus because God works in us. Jesus, not the example. Jesus, the one who has done that what we will never do, and as we confess faith in him, we open ourselves so the Spirit can come in and give us love that we will never conjure on our own. May God do that in us today. Amen.